You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, folks. Happy Wednesday. Today's episode is another one whilst on my trip to Vancouver. And so part of the Vancouver travel series and trying to give you a bit of the West Coast flavor for my predominantly Torontonian audience. (laughs) Today's interview is with Natasha Jung, the co-founder and executive producer of Cold Tea Collective. Cold Tea Collective is a media company that focuses on telling the stories of Asian American millennials, Asian Canadians too, just Asian North Americans. And Natasha's own story is one I got to highlight and accounted for um, to hear like her story that she doesn't really get to talk about on her own company, Cold Tea Collective. Natasha's journey really started with a dream of media production that actually got derailed with the allure of a stable career in marketing all until a very fateful letter to herself from the past that reignited the fire to pursue her media dream. An overarching theme in Natasha's journey has been a passion for a community service and throughout her entrepreneurial journey, uh, her continued dedication to community service really pays off in just unforeseen ways. This has been a conversation where I thought to learn more about growing my own media company, but I actually came out of it with more learnings in other areas as well, and I really hope you do as well. And so before I let you off to this amazing conversation, just a quick reminder to support the podcast if you really like it with a five-star review on iTunes and also leave a uh, review, a written review. And if you do, then I'll give you a shout out in a future podcast intro and also stay up to date with the development of the podcast and my blog itself by subscribing to my newsletter on oldmandan.com. The subscribe button's just everywhere. And if you also have someone in your network that you think would be a good fit, just send their LinkedIn profile over to me uh, through the contact page on my blog. Great. So without further ado, uh, here is my interview with Natasha Jung. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, I have Natasha Jung. Hey, Natasha, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Natasha here is the co-founder and executive producer at the Cold Tea Collective, among many other things that we will go in depth into later. But Natasha, to start off with, for the guests who are not familiar, uh, what is Cold Tea Collective? Cold Tea Collective is a storytelling platform for, by, and about Asian millennials. And we focus on telling stories from the heart. We dig deeper to find the truth in every story, and we tell stories that are unfiltered for us and by us. So really right now, we have a lot of content online that is, of course, it's still growing. um, And it's kind of separated into two categories. So personal stories about, you know, maybe, you know, what it was like growing up in a rural part of Canada and being like the only Asian family in your school or something like that. Um, to future stories where we actually interview, you know, Asian Canadians, Asian Americans um, that are doing amazing things and hopefully inspire people no matter where they're from, where they are in their lives to do things that matter to them. Gotcha. And, you know, before we did the podcast, uh, when we were doing the sound, the sound check testing, you told me how your favorite caffeinated beverage is uh, matcha latte and it's named Cold Tea Collective. Does that 
come from that love of matcha or where did it come from? Why is it called Cold Tea Collective? That's a great question. Um, I get that question a lot. Um, so Cold Tea Collective, a couple parts to the name. I'll give you the I'll give you all three ish descriptions because I think we got time, right? Oh, so, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just taking the part cold tea, um, the word tea, I mean, if you think of tea, it's traditionally served hot. And when you equate that to perhaps the family values you have, the traditions you have in your family, you know, that's really representative of the traditional side of you as an Asian Canadian or Asian American, right? Um, However, you know, growing up in North America, speaking English, maybe going to school in a certain place and working with certain people, being exposed to all these different cultures, whether it be like food, you know, people-wise, language-wise, you as the tea are becoming cold or even diluted. So you are no longer that super traditional person that maybe you grew up being because that's what you were exposed to. But later on, as you grew up in life, you kind of get cold or you dilute or you move away from those traditions. But at the end of the day, you're still tea. You're still a human being. We all still have the same basic human necessities, human requirements, human needs and wants and desires. And so really that's what make us, makes us a collective. Hmm. The collective side of things is really about a collective of stories, a collective of people, and it's kind of a bit of a shout out to the collectivist society that is Asian culture. Gotcha. Yes. So that's that's one kind of sorry. So that's kind of one explanation of it. Um, a fun explanation of it also is well, actually two fun explanations is you know when you go out for you know you're like you're your coffee connoisseur, but let's just say you can't handle coffee and you or perhaps you you choose to go for tea that that one time you go, um, you're so deep in your conversation with someone that you forget to drink your tea and it goes cold. So that kind of, you know, relates to us wanting to have deeper conversations with not only people that we're interacting with, but with ourselves, really. And uh, the second fun kind of description or explanation behind the name is, um, so there's this thing, and I thought it was just a millennial thing, but um, apparently my 60 plus year old aunt knows about this reference as well. And it's when you go out partying late at night and you want to go for some food and maybe you go to an Asian restaurant and you ask for cold tea, they'll give you beer or alcohol in a teapot. So, yeah, I know, surprising, right? Yeah, I just so, had a weird face for yeah, the audience yeah. who don't know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was very surprised by that. He was shocked. Yeah. Maybe even a bit appalled. I don't know. <laughs> um, so it's, it's the alcohol in a teapot, and on the outside, it looks like one thing, but on the, on the inside, it's another. And that really just kind of relates to how us as Asian millennials, or even just like people in general, we're always kind of judging people by how they look on the outside, Mm -hmm. but really not necessarily always taking a chance to know what's on the inside and appreciating for what's on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the reasons you talked about kind of hit me in different moments. I think um, (laughs) the first reason I loved the, just, I never, just the observation of, yeah, you have a great conversation and yeah, it's true. Your tea gets cold, your coffee gets cold. And I was like, wow, that's true. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. Um, and yeah, the superficialness of uh, a lot of Asian culture. Like, like I I constantly comment on how just Korean culture in general, you go to, when I, whenever I go back to Seoul, you notice how superficially driven a lot of things are. Mm-hmm. When you see skyscrapers with, 
plastic surgery logo is all plastered over it. It's just very apparent, like, oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, and it is normalized now, right? Oh, totally. Um, and that's, I mean, by that being said, like, who's who's to judge, right? That's just a completely, you know, it's a different way of life. It's a different mentality. And, I mean, it's not just on the superficial level in the sense of, you know, who we are, like, what our faces look like, right? It's also, I feel like sometimes... I've, you know, I've, I've worked with people, I've worked around people that kind of have a little bit of an old school mentality, maybe, maybe not old school, but have the mentality that it's more important about what people see in the outside than what they actually know of to be true on the inside. Mm. And that for me is a little bit concerning sometimes when you're working in businesses or working with people that see things that way, because I don't know, I guess like for me and myself and my journey, which I'm happy to tell you about um, on our inner conversation is I'm just so focused and so attracted to people that can share their deepest, darkest secrets or their innermost desires and um, who they really are as people rather than who they think people want them or need them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, just as you're saying that, I think I learned that organically where, you know, when when I was in school, it was really common for people to say "fake it till you make it," like mm-hmm. say what are you, whatever you have to say in interviews to get the job, and then mm-hmm. once you get in, then some then people no, but you you for you faked it, you got to continue faking it until yeah. you make it. <laughs> and I remember um, the first time I was actually very honest. I didn't even do it intentionally; it just happened. And my manager commented on it, and it was we were doing the kind of you know in big corporations. Like you, you were at Deloitte before. Um, mm-hmm. When I was an audit at KPMG, I I did the kind of final kind of uh, evaluation of myself like what did I think what was my weakness what was my, what, what was my strength and my weakness I just wrote in I, I completed work without not knowing how to do any of it I pretended like I knew it and I just copied last year's and yeah I, so I wrote that as my weakness that was part of your exit interview or no 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 uh, that was just, just kind of my annual, annual kind of review just oh, this, this is my weakness <laughs> and, and this is before you even had a conversation with your manager no yeah that. yeah none of that okay so <laughs> okay. I, I just wrote yeah. it and I sent it in and my manager read it and he's like dude I loved it this is so honest and he was saying <laughs> this is so real because mm-hmm. I bet you everyone else in your ear feels exactly like that they're just not saying it yeah. and he's like but we got to submit this so we got to change some wording here <laughs> just just to keep your career alive and so yeah sure i changed Looking that but, for you yeah but he but once he said that i was like yeah you know you know what honesty sells honesty is actually i think mm-hmm. it's when you show your true authentic self you can actually get closer to someone in another like deeper level mm-hmm. um and i think from that point on like my manager actually remembered my name uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay because there's so many of you first years right, right or, yeah were you intern at that time or yeah, yeah i was a co-op then right um, okay and yeah so i think that was kind of my first kind of glimpse of yeah honesty actually works like you should actually just be very honest all the time and Mm -hmm. you will have a lot of people that hate you for being honest but the people that love you will actually really love you oh absolutely that's just been my experience and so Mm -hmm. for you um you know we for the audience who can't see us we are in vancouver and so this is my hometown and also vanessa's hometown as uh Natasha's hometown as well sorry that's okay it's Uh, actually a very similar name i have i have a cousin named vanessa yeah and uh our parents would actually mix up our names. Okay. It's the three-syllable thing. Oh, that's it. Yeah, and it ends in an A. Okay. So, to- yeah, it was all good. All right, thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, so we're in Vancouver. Not that rainy today, surprisingly, um, in a nice co-working space. But you and I were both from Richmond, which is, mm-hmm. you know, 
kind of the suburbs of Vancouver, but the very Asian heavy populated <laughs> part. Can you tell me about like the childhood there? Like, did you were you actually born in Richmond? Did you grow up there the whole time, or you know, what was your childhood like? Ah, the beginning, yeah. many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm a little bit older than you by a little bit. I mean, a lot. <laughs> you don't look it though. So oh, it's thank good. you. Yeah. It's the Asian don't raisin, <laughs> right? Um, so I okay, so I was actually born in Vancouver. Um, for the first like few years of my life, I lived there. I don't really remember because you're a kid, right? Um, but my childhood really was in Richmond, but it's not the Richmond, BC that we know of today. Um, so when I grew up in Richmond, I grew up in kind of like, a, like, a, like the far, far, far East Richmond. Sorry. I grew up in far, far East Richmond. Uh, the area is called Hamilton. So Hamilton's actually at number nine road in Richmond. And so if you're oh, from wow, the area, really like, far. yeah, it's really far. It's just before Queensboro. It's just before New West, the very end of the East West connector. Wow. is where I grew up. I spent about like eight to 10 years there. I don't quite remember. Um, so really, it was like a very small town, small community, one gas station, one elementary school, one community center. And that, I think, like really shaped my like upbringing and my life today. Because I feel like for me, that's where I first felt a sense of community and pride for my community. I first started volunteering when I was 10 years old. I'm 31 now, almost 32. And you know, being a part of a small community and feeling like you could actually make a difference actually, you know, really just opened the doors for me to do what I had done since then. Um, and then, so, I mean, I grew up there, um, made some really good friends. And then, you know, as I started to drive, turned 16, uh, literally on my 16th birthday, I moved to what most people probably know as Richmond now. Um, I went to high school at McNair, secondary um, I was part of this program called the Mini School Program. So it was a little bit of accelerated learning, um, outdoor education, performing arts, and community service. All those aspects to make what was really, I guess, hyped up back then, which would be like a really quote-unquote well-rounded student. Um, academically, I wasn't that good, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I was actually a lot more focused on doing good for my community because that's where I felt, you know, once again, I could make the most impact. And that's where I felt the most connected to, not only to people, but also the things that I was doing. And so it's really funny now, like looking back, like doing all these things in the community at such a young age from like, especially like from ages 10 to like 18 when I graduated high school, um, you know, all my involvement in the community really shaped who I am today. Hmm. And when, when you were growing up, um, were your parents um, first-generation immigrants? So you were born here, so you were, I guess, yeah, so second I, generation? Yeah, or? so I was born here. My mom was from Hong Kong. She moved here when she was 12. And my dad was actually born here gotcha. as well. But his, oh, wow. yeah, his parents immigrated here. So, yeah, um, I don't know too many people that have that same kind of, like, familial background as I do. Um, but that being said, like, I don't think it's too uncommon for, for people in Richmond as well. But I mean, like growing up in Richmond, um, in my high school in particular, I would say that the population was probably about, you know, gosh, like, f like 40% like Asian, 40% uh, uh, actually, no, maybe 50. So it's probably about, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. In my high school, I was I think that the composition of people is probably about sixty percent Asian, twenty percent Caucasian, and and then the the remaining would be from other mm -hmm. like backgrounds and heritage, yeah. right? So, um, but that being said, like I never really felt like I connected to the quote unquote Asian kids 
in school, I really just got along with everyone. Um, and I didn't really think much about like identity or race at that time. All I knew is that I really loved urban music and hip hop music, rap music, R&B music. And that's actually what I connected to the most. Wow. And, and so then during this time of volunteer and urban music, what, uh, <laughs> what kind of dream career did you imagine when you were young? Like when, you know, uh, teachers ask you, Natasha, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, what did you respond? Um, I think I like probably responded with something that I thought was safe. And that was just be like in business, like, oh, I know I love people. So I want to work in HR. And for those of you who are about to embark on your HR careers, you know that working with people is not all of it right so it's a you know fast forward like pro tip like it's actually about there's a lot of paperwork involved a lot of legalities and all that kind of stuff too but anyway I digress um I think I probably said that because I knew it would be safe um but really I actually wanted to be a tv host I remember in my grade 12 year so I, I took a lot of acting and performance arts classes when I was in high school and because our school had a really good theater program and in grade 12 each of us in acting 12 were supposed to write a letter to ourselves that we were supposed to up, supposed to open up like 10 years after we graduated. And I wrote it on it. Like, I want to be a television host. Like Ryan Seacrest is my hero. And like, I don't, I don't care what it takes. I'm not afraid of working hard, but I'm, I'm just afraid that I won't get there. And so, um, funny story is that I actually received that letter again at the very most important time in my life that like, well, one of the, a really important time in my life where I reread that letter to myself, but we'll get there in a little bit. Okay. Okay. I, I can't wait. Um, we'll slowly make our way there right now then. <laughs> um, so I, when, when I, you know, the reason I think when I first reached out to you was because I saw, you know, your LinkedIn profile and I looked at it I was like this is really diverse there's so many things on here I don't really know where to, where to start you know I think she's a media producing personality but she has so many stuff here that I, I'd really like to dig deeper into and so <laughs> if I you know just go through the whole kind of linear list it's you know you start sure. you start out in SFU in communications and then mm-hmm. you know you went over to Kwantlen to do some like events coordinating that's right you yeah. went over to Deloitte to do some marketing mm-hmm. went to Vision Critical to do some more marketing mm-hmm. then you were at Crofton House you went to Novus to become like pro- to do producing you did strategy and ops for LNG Studios and now you're at Cold Tea but while you're doing all that, you also did a lot of like freelance stuff yourself. Like you're like a public speaker, you're a consultant, you're you know uh, like host as well as well as as well as a producer. But when I look at when what you're doing in university, you also worked in like all these TV gigs. Like you were at CDTV, you were part of the Canadian Idol, you're part of CTV News. So before we go into all this, <laughs> I'm really curious how you respond. You know, when you go to parties, uh, I struggle with this nowadays too is you meet someone for the first time and then commonly the question is so what do you do (laughs) how do you answer what do you what do you respond with most of the time oh gosh if I tell you can you tell me yours after because maybe we can help each other out (laughs) (laughs) you're honestly like I so the 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 first time I was fun employed and like working on my own I really struggled with this question not because I didn't know what to say but because I didn't know how people were going to react. The second time around, which is like, you know, fast forward to present day, when I, um, you know, really like I'm making the the concerted effort, the very specific choice to be, you know, self-employed. 
Um, this is this is how I would say it. So let's let's practice right now. Ask me. So pretend we're right. a party. Yeah. Okay. Hey, nice <laughs> nice to meet you. So um, so what do you do with your life? Oh wow, that's that's a great question, Dan. Um, so I work in media and education, and so um, depending on you know just kind of you know behind the scenes now, but you know depending on what situation I'm in or you know I usually my goal is to ask the person what they do first, and or like not first question I ever ask them, but like before they have a chance to ask me because strike I strike first. Yeah, strike yeah, strike <laughs> first. The reason being is because I want to understand like what context they would want to hear first. It's kind of like knowing your audience, right? And so for example, I went to a party like last weekend, I was speaking with a teacher and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like I've done some work in the education space. And then they'll say like, oh, so are you a teacher? I'm like, well, not quite really. And then I'll go through like I've done this, I've done that and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and currently, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on a contract with SFU, working with first and second year business students on a very specific program around leadership development, personal development, goal setting, career exploration, and um, public speaking. And so it's, I know that that in itself is a lot. Um, and then once again, like depending on, you know, what that person does, I might actually lead with the media side of things. I'll say, I have my own new media startup. It's for Asian millennials. And then depending on how they respond to that, I might go deeper into that. I mean, it's just, especially as an entrepreneur or someone that has multiple things on the go, you don't really know what will stick or what people will actually understand, but you also have to be patient with that too, right? And take them through that journey of how fun and amazing the world that you're playing in is. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, um, you know, to give my kind of answer, uh, yeah, when I, when I get asked that question, I jokingly respond with, that's a terrible question. You should ask how I spend my time. And then um, I then ask them, if, you know, do you have 30 minutes? Because it's going to take a while. Yeah. And yeah. then it, like you said, it's kind of, it becomes like a dance where yeah. depending on what I say and how I read their reaction, I try to go deeper into certain spots or less so in other spots because I've obviously lost their attention. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like I you got to gauge that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I start off with, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm building a media and investment company. And then from there, I kind of just try to go chrono- chronologically. Like, So I was an accountant, became a management consultant, went to a hedge fund, took a sabbatical, and yeah, this is where I'm at now. And mm-hmm. that's generally the way I take it. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously haven't done as much as you have, so it's a little more condensed. But like I told you, I got a couple of years on you, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope to catch up soon, uh, <laughs> with at least the stuff I do. But I, yeah, like as I, you know, you know, I'm saying this in front of you, but as as I've gotten, I get as I get older, I, I start hating this the birthday approaching constantly. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just, oh, my friend. Yeah, I know. I got a long way to go. <laughs> that that being said, though, so like it, it's funny that you bring that up because I I felt the same way. Yeah. And honestly, like I think a lot of us do. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're admitting that as well because I I think I hear maybe it's just the social circles that I'm in, but I think I feel like I hear that more from women rather than men. Men are just like, oh, well, whatever, right? It's like sure, like no big deal, right? Um. But yeah, I mean, like for my 30th birthday, like almost two years ago now, oh my gosh, um, I actually had a panel event, um, Real Talk on Turning 30. And I had a panel just talking about like, what are some hopes, dreams, goals you had before turning 30? Like, what does it actually mean to you? How can we break down the myths, stereotypes, expectations around turning 30? And um, it was a really great feeling to kind of be at this, the table or in the same room with like 100 plus people just being like, yeah, like I totally feel that. I totally felt that pressure. But hey, you know what? Like we all are on our own journey, right? And what's really exciting is that 
you know, being over the 30 hump now, I can say this, and maybe, maybe you can tell your future self, is um, it actually gets better. And what I really like most about it is that you become a lot more confident in who you are and your journey that you've taken to get there. And, you know, you it's kind of like zero fucks given, right? Well, I mean, you obviously you still care about what you're doing, but it's just, you know, you don't care as much about what people think about you because you realize that, wow, I've been through some shit, so... I kind of know what I'm talking about now and I need to just make this work for myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something I try to constantly tell myself that that's helped me is like I'll tell that to my dad and mm-hmm. then my dad will, my dad will say, dude, you've only you've only really been free for three years. It's only been three <laughs> years since you've done university. So if you think about it that way, you're like a child still. And yeah, like, yeah. Good point. Thanks, yeah. dad. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's good perspective to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's... I, I found it a little fascinating when seeing how you know you said you wanted to be a TV host, so you kind of you were going that down that route mm-hmm. um, when you had all these internships in the whole media space, like mm-hmm. what I would consider to be just traditional media in the TV space. Yeah. And then you went straight into like marketing for a full time and just onwards. Why did you not um, stay with the whole media landscape, like you know go back to City TV or CTV News, or, like the the big giants there? Mm-hmm. Um, great question. Um, so. D- to add a little bit more color to that, so I was doing all these internships and kind of like side gigs while I was in school. So I was studying communications at SFU, getting my undergrad there. Um, and the I think, so my gosh, I haven't thought about this in a long time because I graduated in 2010, almost 10 years ago. So it's been a long time, but um, your original question was, why didn't I just go continue on with that? Um, so the media landscape at that time was very focused on news and journalism. There wasn't really like the bloggers weren't that big, like video, like personal video. Like, I don't like, what year was YouTube created? Was it 2008 or something? But or yeah, I think so. I think it was in its infancy. Right. Yeah. So, I don't think it really got big until um, like mid 2010s. Mid 2010, mid 2012 or something. Yeah. 2012, I think 2012, well, 2013. That's when like, yeah. I think everyone. Like everyone would have a YouTube channel on. Yeah. Like when I was in like lecture rooms, people would just be on YouTube yeah. instead of paying attention. But yeah, yeah I think that's when it's <laughs> kind of getting really big. Yeah. Um, but I'm a, I'm a bad example. I'm really late to technology all the time. Like I'm oh, the no. lagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's why my friends called me old man Dan. Like I, I don't know what Twitch was for a long time. Like there's this YouTuber called PewDiePie. I, oh, okay. I didn't know who he was until about a week ago. Okay. And my friend showed me his video. I was like, wow, yeah, yeah I, have, I have no idea who this person is. He's like number one YouTuber. Or Apparently. still? Like, I don't know. Uh, something like that, I haven't yeah. been keeping up, to but be yeah, honest. Like, I've never seen a single video of his. And he's like, oh, dude, you got to get on with the times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. You don't, you, you do you, okay? Like, <laughs> obviously you're busy with other things as a, like, as opposed to watching YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess like for me, um, while I was interning, I remember very distinctly, I had, the opportunity to, um, you know, uh, intern at City TV, um, the local station in Vancouver with Breakfast Television, and I think a couple other shows as well, um, something about food and something about real estate. And um, for me, like, I had the opportunity to interview for this, like, junior associate producer role, like, super, super junior, super entry-level role. Didn't quite work out, but the producer that I was, like, interning for at that time, like, really just gave me a shot to try to, like, you know, put my name in the hat for it. And I really, really appreciated that. But then like, obviously like I didn't get it. Then I realized like, hey, like, like I guess like in the back of my mind, like I, re- I knew that I didn't want to go into news, like news journalism. Um, I really wanted to be more in entertainment. And Vancouver wasn't really the space to do that at that time, right? Um, and I think just kind of in the back of my mind, like my parents and 
to no fault of theirs, like this is all they knew, right? Um, you know, we're just like, oh, you know, it's not really stable, like in that industry. Um, yeah, you got some great experience and like, you know, you finished your degree now, so that's good. Now you can get a job and stuff too. And I guess in Vancouver, I wasn't at that place in my life, wasn't ready to move away. And so like, I really applaud students or even new grads to like move away out of their hometown that they've known for so long or only like known that place um, to move away for a new opportunity. Because at that stage in my life, like I was basically like, basically still a baby. Like, I mean, like I was 22 or something like that, but I still felt like I just wasn't really ready to move away yet. Um, and so like the opportunities in Vancouver were more so in the marketing PR space. And so I felt like, hey, my background, my work experience, um, as well as student experience really lined up with that a little bit better. And that's kind of kind of how I got down the trajectory of the marketing world. Um, I spent about like, let's say like five, six years in the marketing space, like professionally for working full time, people paying me to be like a marketer, event planner, public relations person, communications person, all the above. Um, and I learned so much. I learned a lot. I learned so, so much. But at the end of the day, like, what was I doing in my free time? I was producing concerts, producing music videos, working with music artists. I was also still working on um, Rich City Idol, which is a singing competition that I started in Richmond for high school students, by high school students. It's something that I started when I was 16. So I was still involved in that and still am today. Like this May, May 2019 is going to be our 16th year of the show. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just along the way, you know, even though I was working all these marketing jobs or like working in business, I always knew that, you know, to really feel fulfilled creatively and I guess maybe even to some level spiritually that I needed to be creative in some way. And what what kind of motivate like what really motivated you to continue pushing this on? It's like you know, 16 years of having something going on like Rich City Idol. Mm-hmm. That's that's a long time. And not even that, but just the constant, you know, the focus of spending your own time on working with different music artists and all that. Like, what motivated you to continue like pushing on to doing this while having this kind of overlaying day, day job as like a marketer? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it was just any specific thing that motivated me, but for me, and it's this, it's the same feeling with Rich City Idol and with Cold Tea is that. If you create something that means something to others, I think you owe it to other people to make sure that you give the best of yourself to make sure that it's meaningful to them or that they can be successful. And just to be very clear here, so Rich City Idol as a singing competition, it's essentially an event. You know, the students spend like basically the entire school year planning it, right? It's a singing competition. We work with, you know, all the different high schools uh, the public schools in rich in the richmond school district and we work with the winners of their individual singing competitions work with them for a couple months give them professional vocal coaching choreography group songs put them on stage of in front of over 500 people at gateway theater in richmond the professional adjudicators and judges and all their friends and family and it's like it's a great time um so just that's just a little bit of background on that but i guess like for me um i'm just still in awe that you know people these young people these students high school students even it actually means something to them so they want to put something into it and so for me like I want to impart that knowledge and give them the tools to have not only a successful show but open doors for future career paths for them 
because honestly that's where i learned the most and that's what opened doors for me mm. and you talked about how you know, so you, you had this marketing profession for about six years and earlier you mentioned that yeah you're not at 28 so this is kind of like the end of that marketing career you you had this kind of more cathartic moment where mm-hmm. you get the letter back so (laughs) take me through that time period but Mm -hmm. what was going on what happened and why was it such a uh, key event in your life Mm -hmm. so at that time I had taken a new job at a tech company and my when I was brought on I was kind of sold this vision of yeah you're going to be in charge like strategically of events for like marketing events within North America work on strategy, brand, and then we'll move you into another part of marketing. Um, So I was like, all right, cool, because I had all this event planning experience from Deloitte and I learned like so much from there, but it just became really repetitive for me. And I also realized that, hey, even if I move up into management, that's not really gonna make a difference for me. I'm still basically gonna be doing the same thing, just with higher stakes. And if you screw up, you're like, you're really toast. You know what I mean? So when I made that transition, like that was kind of always the goal to transition out of events. But then a couple months in, a person that was working on my team that was doing more of the hands-on operational event planning stuff ended up leaving for another opportunity. So I was really left holding the bag, having to do the strategy and the execution and the operations and the reporting and like all the above, basically. And what ended up happening is that I ended up burning out. And the burnout wasn't necessarily from working a lot, but I realized in retrospect that the burnout was because I was doing work that I didn't feel connected to. I wasn't in touch with my values. I didn't, I wasn't doing work where I felt like the work that I was doing was being valued either. And so it was in Chicago after running a three-day like customer conference and I had literally probably had eight hours of sleep over the last like three days. I finally got a chance to sit down and my my boyfriend at the time, now my fiance was with me as well. Um, I got this like random message on Facebook from this girl that I went to high school with. And it was like basically pictures of that letter I'd written to myself. The very top of the page said Carpe Diem. And in that letter it said like, I wanna be a TV host. I already said this, but in that letter it said, I want to be a TV host. I want to have my own television show. I want to be like Ryan Seacrest. I don't really care about working hard because I know I can work hard. It's just I don't know if I'll have the confidence to do it. What really struck me about that is that I'd gone through this entire journey and like my marketing career. I'd even like interned in all these places and stuff too. But I was basically kicking myself because I still wanted the same thing, but I hadn't gone out and done it yet. And that's what really got me. And so that's what really like pushed me to be like, okay, so wow, like I can't believe I just left that that whole like the media side of things like aside, even though I was doing these passion projects on, along the way, like I didn't ever really give that an actual chance. And so that's when I reached out to Novus TV and asked like, hey, can I do a couple segments for you in front of the camera? Can I also produce? And for a while, like that was kind of like my side hustle, my volunteer side hustle. And then eventually, I started getting paid for it as well. Just just a couple bucks here and there for each segment. And I really felt like, wow, this is really cool. Like not only am, do I get an opportunity to, you know, you know, be on camera, hold a microphone, ask people questions, help them tell their stories, but I get to really just, you know, explore what I never really gave myself the permission to explore previously. And while that was happening, it was just 
about my 29th birthday. And that's when I started thinking about like, oh my gosh, I'm turning 30 soon, right? But 29 first, right? So um, the final late 20s barrier. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That that whole like short runway there, um, or it's seemingly short, obviously, I, I, every year has, you know, the same amount of time, right? Except for the leap years, I know. Um, and with that as well, I would say that I was actually in my current job then doing events, I was actually very depressed. And I didn't know it until I, you know, something else happened. So it'd been a couple months where I was working my day job and I, you know, was doing the the television production and hosting on the side as well, that I started to get the sense like, hey, things aren't really gonna work out for me at this company. And I realized that I was actually in like probably the worst place I'd ever been professionally because I told, once again, my boyfriend at the time, um, hey, like, I actually don't care if they fire me tomorrow because I, I freaking hate my job. I hate how it makes me feel. I'm working so many hours and like, I just, my brain, like, I feel like I literally said to my boss before, like, I don't feel as, like I'm as smart as I used to be because I'm not using my brain in the way that it's supposed to be working. Mm. Um, and so what ended up happening is I realized that they were going to let me go. And so I said, like, you know, kind of being like a young person that's like never been let go before or whatever. I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to resign first kind of thing. Right. So I, I went into the office, like I was all prepared. I'd even like packed up my stuff and like had it in a box. Like I had started taking stuff home already and all that kind of stuff. It was really hilarious. Um, in my mind, actually, it's still pretty hilarious. And hopefully some listeners find it pretty funny too. Um, so I'd already like packed up all my stuff. And then I was supposed to have a one-on-one, um, with my, my boss at the time. And she brought me into this boardroom, um, and, like on the phone, like on a speakerphone on the table was the director of HR. And they're just like, hey, like, we're going to let you go. I'm like, oh, well, I had my resignation letter here. And I was just like, oh, wait, I should really just shut the fuck up. Because if I don't take that package, I'm not going to get severance. If I don't take take that package, I'm not going to be able to get employment insurance. right? So um, that was a really humbling experience for me. And But at the same time, it was like as much as I like really struggled at that job as much as I like kind of didn't really feel aligned with my manager at that time. She always said that like, Hey, if I'm going to need to let you go or if there needs to be some shifts in the team, you will know, I'll give you some sort of a sign. Right. And you know, to her credit, like, even though we never, we didn't really see eye to eye and they didn't work out. Like she did give me those signs. And that's where I was just like, Oh, right. Shit. Like I should probably, I'm probably going to lose my job kind of thing. So, when that happened, I actually like got up and like around the boardroom table away from that speakerphone that was talking to me, telling me that I was fired, which is kind of weird because HR has to be quote unquote present, right? When that happens, it's kind of, it's really weird. And I can tell you about that completely, like either this time or another time, uh, or if anyone has any questions, you can have my contact info too. But, um, I actually went around the table and I, I hugged my manager and I said, thank you so much for the opportunity to work with you. And thank you for letting me go. Because it really, I realized already in that moment, it would give me an opportunity to do what I really wanted to do. And what I was doing at that job was not what I wanted to do. Hmm. And did, did you feel when, you know, when you found out that you were being let go, did it, do you ever feel like it impacted kind of your own personal confidence? Or was it, was it actually, did you feel it was more, you know, oil on the fire, like it actually improved it more? Um, I don't think... Honestly, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. Mm. They're not mutually exclusive because anyone that's kind of been through that kind of experience um, or like a similar experience is that 
you'll know that there are kind of ups and downs. It kind of comes in waves, right? And I mean, I mentioned depression because, you know, I realized like later on, like after the fact, looking back, that like, holy shit, like I was exhibiting signs of depression in that job. And so, I mean, my time after I left that job or like it left me or however you want to call it, um, it, you, you kind of play with your mind a little bit. So what I was really like more so upset about myself for was like, I should have known, like, why did I take a job for the money? Why did I do something that I knew, like, wasn't the right fit from the beginning? You know, um, I should have, I should have known better is basically the, the narrative I, or like how I was scolding myself, if you will. Um, but of course, like it did fuel my fire to be like, Hey, you know what? Like I got to look back at what's really important to me. And that's where I did that self work of realizing like, Hey, like throughout my career up until this point, I've always done these creative things, right? I've always you know, tried to be a storyteller of some sorts. I've always tried to do something with like music or like media or education. So why not try to build a job for myself or a space for myself in those areas? So media and education. And that's kind of how I started building my business, started doing like talks and workshops. And that's how Colty Collective came to be. And what was the early period like? Like the, I, I find that um, for me, like it's been close to a year now of not having a job, so being so fun employed. But I found that I've been experiencing weird ups and downs since with the three month mark, the six month mark, mm. nine month mark. <laughs> so it's really weird. Um, how, how was it like for you, like actually going through that period and trying to take the side for, okay, what's it going to look like? How am I going to make this work? What was the first like, year or so like? Um, the first few months, I actually traveled a lot. <laughs> probably, I also bought a place at the same time. So probably just like the most irresponsible things you should you could do when you are fun employed. Um, yeah, like... Uh, so there was that, but then there's also in the back of my mind, like, kind of like, holy shit, I don't have, I'm running out of money, like, and you kind of put yourself into survival mode a little bit too, and you become really frugal because out of necessity, obviously, right? And um, as a way to kind of not cope, but like to deal with it, I decided I wanted to own it. And so what I did was I pushed myself to still attend like networking events and like be brave and push myself to answer that awkward question of what do you do? And it was really funny because even if you, whether it be someone that you know already or like someone you're meeting for the first time, whenever you say like, oh, I'm like in between jobs right now or I'm unemployed right now or I'm taking a break from work, the reaction is like, oh, like I don't really know what to say. Like that's, it's a very strange slash hilarious thing because you yourself are trying to be okay with it by saying it and I don't know why maybe maybe that's just me like I just have maybe I just have a weird way with like dealing with things but um but for other people on the receiving end is like you don't really hear that very often and I think that just goes back to earlier in our conversation when you're talking about authenticity and transparency and just being honest right and I think that yeah like there was like points where I felt like a little bit of shame like I didn't totally know what I wanted to do or the fact that I was still building something and there's kind of like, I don't know how it is in Toronto where, where you're currently living, but like in Vancouver, at least, there's kind of like this underlying idea or expectation that if you're working for yourself, you are, if you are self-employed or if you are an entrepreneur of some sorts that like you, you have your shit together more than everyone else. Uh, it's kind of weird how people have that expectation. Um, 
or it's complete opposite of like, wow, you must really not have your shit together. You know what I mean? So it's, there's no in between. And I felt like I was really just kind of like in between there. Um, so it was really kind of, uh, almost like a social experiment <laughs> for me to kind of go out and have those conversations. Um, I would say that one of the most, uh, I guess, transformational things that I did for myself in that time while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do was actually have that birthday panel event. Before that birthday panel event, I actually wrote a blog post called Started From The Bottom. Um, Obviously a Drake reference, right? Because, you know, I love Drake. Um, But it started from the bottom, like, and how kind of networking helped me with my depression. And... For me, it was connecting with people. It was talking about my experience. And it was about getting that response from people knowing that, not that they too had been through something similar, but knowing that I was not alone and letting them know that they were not alone and knowing that we could help each other through storytelling. And I realized that from there, like, you know, Culty Collective, that's a space where we can really help people by creating a platform for people to share their own stories. Hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, a lot of things I think are definitely like I can definitely relate with where yeah it's it's been really weird having these kind of those kind of conversations and I think I think Toronto's not that dissimilar from Vancouver um, mm. in terms of how people like, think about entrepreneurs and stuff like might have I think maybe the spectrum's maybe even wider there might be even more extreme views where you know they idolize entrepreneurs who get venture financing as if it's mm-hmm. actually a big deal like it, it's an achievement but <laughs> says the guy that comes from a came from a hedge fund <laughs> <laughs> well i think there's more to the story that people don't really realize it's like i tell i tell people um yeah once you get financing that that's the end of your freedom like you're you're done like you're now in the pockets of the venture capitalists um mm-hmm. but anyhow I, dig- I digress um but yeah like i think it's for someone who's been and and you know i think you can definitely relate being you know very like focused on okay like doing a lot of things like being i would say you know quasi like type a personality like always wanting to do the best overachieve Mm -hmm. i always had like answers to everything and Mm. i think when i hit the period of like trying to embrace like i yeah I, i don't know i really don't know what this is and the podcasting space has no answers i don't even know what the, like it's is this even a business i have no idea i just did it um and just being okay with things happening organically i think mm-hmm. has been very weird like mm. when you just can't see the future because like when when you're in when i was an audit you know i fork i'd forecast like here's my seven-year trajectory i'm gonna make partner in next many years this is what i have to do or and i quit i go to consulting like, easy here's my next two to three year trajectory like mm-hmm. these are all the paths that are laid out i know what to do um, go to a hedge fund. Oh, it's easy. This is the next trajectory, and then it's just been now. Like, I don't know what's the path. Like it's been fun because there's so many possibilities. Like oh, there's so many things to do, and then also very overwhelming because now there's paralysis by analysis of oh, I could do this, mm-hmm. I could do this. Like I'm meeting all these people, I'm learning so many things, but at the same time, what do I focus on? What mm-hmm. is this, the decisive thing that I have to do? Mm-hmm. And so for you, like how did you focus? Like how did you, you know, embrace? being lost and decide okay i think i'm gonna take this route i'll go down this route like what was what was the route that you took in the beginning or what was the route i took them in the beginning or how did i come to those decisions how you came to it and what you ended up selecting right um 
yeah, so when I first kind of like lost my job, if when I first lost my job, I really just took a step back because I realized like immediately I did say like, wow, like, holy crap, like this is actually a blessing because now I can actually do what I want to do. Woohoo. Um, and, and then mixed in with a little bit like, oh, my God, I'm so like down right now. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of up and downs. Um, but what I really did, and I've done this a couple times in my career already, um, was really just reevaluate my values and really just go back to my values. For me, it's always had something to do with like creativity, community, authenticity, and um, like creating a meaningful impact. Those are those are my core values. So I always, I always come back to those, right? And coming back to those, but also realizing, you know, asking myself key questions about what were some peak experiences in my life or my career? Peak experiences as in, you know, like what made me feel really proud? Like what did I get a kick out of? Like what made like what made that particular thing like meaningful, right? So I took a look at that, but I also compared that to perhaps my suppressed value. So when did I feel the most down, the most low? When did I feel like I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't really being myself, right? And then I also took a look at, you know, what's my code of conduct? Like what are the things that I absolutely need to do or else a part of me withers or dies, right? And so in answering those questions, and these are questions that I ask, you know, I I sometimes coach youth and young professionals in trying to figure out their their own careers as well, is these are questions that I always ask them. And these are the questions I asked myself while I was going through this. Um, So for me, it was the two main themes were media and education. And those are the things that I actually understood. And I actually kind of knew like the tangible things that I could do to actually build a career or build a path for myself on. So I know that a lot of people like, okay, you know, maybe that's overgeneralizing, but I was just going to say like, you know, even having two pads to work on at the same time is a lot for, for most people. I think that for me, I don't think I would could ever fully decide because there's always going to be, even if I went just straight up the education route, there's always going to be a media component to it. Even if I went straight up media route, there's always going to be like a, an education, coaching, mentorship component to it as well, right? So um, I'm just kind of on this path right now where kind of the first steps were just to remind myself of what my core values are, remind myself of my peak experiences, suppressed values, code of conduct, reminding myself of what the, myself of what those were, and then just trying to figure out like, hey, what's available to me right now? And how can I get started? And while you're, while you're on, on this journey, do you, how, how did you battle the kind of um, the constant potential thought of, should I get a job? Should I go back to <laughs> the employment life? Like, did, did it ever, like, do you, do you have like constant fights with it? Or is it very clear for you that, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I've been away for it for so long. I know this is not what I want to do. I'm just going to continue down this self-employed, like starting my own thing, entrepreneurial path. It's funny that you asked that because I have, I basically did this like fun employed entrepreneurial path like twice in the last like three years. So, so it's a bit cyclical. So just to, to repaint the picture for you is, um, so I got like a, let go from my job. I spent about like 18 months, self-employed, fun employed, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, and that's when I built up my talks, workshops, education, media stuff. And then what I'd done on my own as a freelancer or a contractor actually led me to be able to get offers for part-time employment. That's when I started working as um, a work experience program facilitator at Crofton House School. So that's an all-girls high school in um, Vancouver, BC. And um, 
then from there, I was also doing the television production stuff. And that led me to actually the full-time gig doing production and then strategy and operations, which ended up being HR, a lot of it, um, at LNG Studios and, and Novus TV. And then from there, like I most recently left that job in August of 2018. And I left that because I realized that, hey, like I'm putting a lot of time and energy into this, but it's not my end goal, right? Like, I know that whatever I choose or whenever I choose to go back to a regular like full-time job, like I'm going to give my all no matter what. Um, But I felt like for me, like, you know, being in my thirties now and wanting to have kids in the next few years that I really just need to do, to do me. I need to do what I've always set out to do because I don't want another instance like 10 years down the road from now to open that letter for myself again and be like oh crap I did it again you know what I mean <laughs> like that would be pretty tragic if you ask me um but yeah. yeah so I mean like right now like my mindset is just you know I want to you know create my own full-time job I want to be my own boss because like I I mean I have asked like you know am I unemployable? No, that's not true. Cause clearly like I've gotten jobs before. Right. So, but like, what is the difference between, you know, working for someone and working for yourself and building your own team? And I just feel like I get a lot more enjoyment out of the latter. And I feel like I'll put more of myself into it. And I know that I can control the outcome a lot better. I mean, you can't control everything, but you can control it a lot better if you're your own boss. Right. And so for me right now, I don't really have plans in the near future to work um, full-time for someone else because I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now but yeah like it's kind of scary sometimes because you know contract to contract you don't really know what's going on Um, but I really do believe in what I'm doing with cold tea and like in the last like year as well I've been able to bring on an amazing team of volunteers that are just super passionate about what we're doing and so I feel like you know similar to Rich City Idol like I owe it to them to really take this seriously turn it into a revenue generating business and um, create a space for Asian millennials to feel like they're being heard and being seen. Mm-hmm. And I think um, what's underlying this career path you've been going on, I think it's I've been noticing is just this continued um, dedication to kind of community service, like a lot of volunteering. You mentioned how you know you had that earlier on in your life and you've been continuously doing it like I remember in our first conversation you were, you were telling me about how you you know you're working with the university right now to set up a program and that kind of happened from them like hearing about you seeing you while you gave like a talk at a volunteer organization and it's like it's these things that don't seem to have some kind of direct payoff or like you know when you know I could totally see like if parents asked or like friends asked like why are you doing that? Why are you spending my, like time doing something that's not going to generate any revenue for you? And, you know, what's it going to end up into? But, you know, you, you take on a job at Novus that's like more, you know, you volunteer and then that starts into something and then you go into like production for them afterwards and it leads to like LNG. Like you, you know, you're part of like the youth um, board of trade, I think it was. Correct, and, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're constantly volunteering time because it's also like that is really authentic to just what you believe in and the values that you have. And, it actually just pays off in really weird ways, it seems. Just mm-hmm. And you just can't forecast. You just don't know. And that's what I constantly tell, like, if I were to make any kind of correlation um, in my life, it's just been, like, this kind of nine-year career I've had as a powerlifter. 
you know, mm-hmm. my parents, when they first started, started, they're like, why are you just lifting all this heavy iron all this time? You're never going to grow. Like, what's this going to do? Like, it's not even a rich man's sport. Like, why can't you do golf? So then, you know, old rich white people will like you better. Like, Golf is a Korean thing too, right? Yeah, it also is, yeah. yeah. That's, and, that's what I've heard. <laughs> well, see, Koreans do... Koreans love doing stuff that's re- highly respected by old rich white people because they hold all the power. So <sighs> my yeah. my childhood has been <laughs> very heavily in doing tennis, golf, piano, like all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then I, but I luckily had great parents who let me quit. And they're like, yeah, if you don't like it, just don't. But we just want to give you an opportunity. I was like, no, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I tell people, like, oh, you know how I got the accounting job? It's because the partner said, hire the kid who deadlifts 400 pounds. Like, that's what he literally said. You stood out that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, same with consulting, same with the hedge funds. Like, they continuously, all my interviews were all this focused on, so what's it like lifting 500 pounds? Like, what what do you do? What's your training schedule like? like that's all they really care about. Yeah. And so I think it's just really weird how certain things that you're really passionate about, like that are really authentic mm-hmm. to yourself, just pay off in this really sometimes unconventional way. And for you, like when you, you know, it's cold tea, this kind of your intention for it to be like this full you conglomerate this media company that you want to become like the full-time business for yourself is that the intention behind that, the company? that is the intention um yeah that absolutely is the intention and i think we had just like very humble beginnings too and i love like hearing your story about you know, how you started off with powerlifting as well because i think that you know as adults like we don't really give ourselves the permission or space or time or whatever it is to quote unquote play anymore and Cold tea was really just play for me in the beginning. I was just like, yeah, just, you know, share my story, share other stories. And that's really cool. But now it's like, holy crap, I want to take this more seriously now because it's a great time to be an Asian in America or North America. Right. Um, And man, like I just joined like subtle Asian traits and the Asian creatives network, like on Facebook, like, so, okay, that's a completely different discussion, but um, yeah, just to, you know, I want to take it more seriously. I want to build this platform this media conglomerate, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but, you know, I'm, I'm ready and willing to, to put in the work out there because I think someone needs to do it and I'm happy to be that person. No, and I think, you know, kudos to you for doing that. And I'm really excited because, you know, you're definitely more ahead in this media creation stuff than I am. But, you know, as, oh gosh, as someone no. who's <laughs> learning about it and this, this whole news because I've just like just recently stepped into as of last year like um i recorded my first vlog yesterday so that was Did you? Really, yeah that was really fun Ooh, um, congrats yeah like I, I first stared at the camera um i was learning how to use it for my brother and then he said you know what your iphone's so much better just use an iphone so I was like, <laughs> all right so i set it up yeah and i just stared at it and i was like i have no idea what to say so i kind of stared at it for a few like solid 10 seconds and yeah. then and then i started talking and without knowing it it was like 30 minutes of recording i was like nice all right that's amazing pretty fun. yeah and good for you i got all the angles wrong so i had like a double chin and everything like that's you know right. the dad Whatever. way of holding the camera but nah. <laughs> um i'll still probably post it out like sometime in the next week but please do um yeah i think it's it's really cool seeing how you know you know you already got like volunteers to build out this company like what did you have like a business model in mind as you were growing like did you start seeing something or do you still feel like at this point it's still let's just try everything. Um, How do you think about it as you're growing this company? Yeah, so to be completely honest, um, I'm still building out the business plan and it has pivoted quite a bit even just in the last few months Um, because I I do, when we talked about organic growth, I do actually want to see that organic organic growth first. At this point, I don't have enough data or research about what the media space could be like right now. 
Um, and so something to keep in mind too is like, yeah, we've got a business strategy and all that too, business plan, marketing plan, social plan, like all, all the all the plans that you, you could have. But um, I have to realize also that if I'm planning out like 10 years from now, the media space, I can't predict what's going to happen in the media space at that time, right? So even if I plan things to a T right now for what I think success might look like in 10 years, I'm going to have to pivot anyway, right? So for me, it's really just about being agile and being on top of not not the trends, but I, I would say being on top of, uh, this is such like a consultant like slash business term, but of best practices <laughs> um, when it comes to um, media production and storytelling and online communities in particular. And also just kind of having a pulse on what's important to our audience, what's important to Asian millennials. And so you know, in, in, in doing that as well, I really have to feel like, I really feel like I have to be like plugged into that community. It's not just Asian millennials too. I think it's, you know, a life stage. So 25 to 35, that's a life stage. You know, you know a little bit to know a bit, right? But you're also thinking about your future, but you're also thinking about your past, where you came from. And so, I mean, there's a lot of growth that happens in that stage in your life, 25 to 35, that you, sounds like a huge range. And it sounds like a 25-year-old would not have the same type of things on their mind than a 35-year-old, but it's all so connected, right? And to be able to to build something from that is, um, is a really exciting journey mm-hmm. for me. I just want to thank you for that, uh, that frame, just because uh, I... There, I forget who says it, but um, it might have been Robert Greene, um, the author of like the 48 Laws of Power, and I think he talks about how um, for most people who achieve like go to achieve mastery, the 20s and 30s is when you learn, 30s and 40s is when you actually um, execute your crafts that you're trying to achieve mastery in, and then the 40s or 50s are when you reap the benefits. Like that's just kind of yeah. how the, a lot of case studies have worked. And so, given that kind of framework, um, as you know, the consultant in me loves frameworks. <laughs> of course. I, I kept on thinking of, okay, 20 to 30s. Okay, I'm, t- I'm going to be 27 this year. I only have three years left in this part of the framework, and then I'm going to hit the 30s part. But when just hearing you say, yeah, when, you know, 25 to 35, that's the that's one different way of looking at the framework. It just mm-hmm. kind of, just this perspective, like the point of view of, if I look at it that way, I have way more time than um, I thought. And, you know, as I say it, I I know it it might sound silly to some people listening, but for me, it's a very it's a very kind of important reframe of mind, mm. and I think yeah, like twenty five or thirty five. Yeah, why why does it have to end in like a decimal as like a new frame? Like it can be at right? five as well, and so exactly. And the I think the fives are kind of fun too, um, because it's exactly like traditionally like your twenties or your thirties, and it's. Honestly, though, like that transition happens all throughout and the midpoint, I think, is going to be really telling of like what you learned, even between like 30 and 35 or 25 to 30, what you've learned at the beginning of that, like the the micro like little framework there, if you want to call it that, is going to be very different than how you're actually able to apply your learnings at the end of that framework as well. Mm. And so um, I just I just kind of like to take a look at it that way. And if you think about kind of kind of like the life stage you might be in from like I would say maybe 30 to even 40 in the middle of it things are probably going to shift anyway oh definitely and for you you know you're, you've been kind of still continuously been plugged into the media space all this time 
what kind of changes have you or you know your kind of network been talking about like seeing in this media landscape like what what kind of change do you think is that the public or just kind of mass audience is just not aware of but you just see in this whole industry changes hmm. I don't think it's anything actually like new and I don't want to talk about like trends or anything like that but I think that I mean I think we all know um, that being a media producer is way easier now than it ever has been right just the accessibility to audiences um, like low startup costs like anyone could get get into that game right and we're talking before we started this interview um, about like kind of like run and gun style just like traveling light and like keeping it super simple um, anyone can produce a video anyone can start a podcast anyone can start a blog or website whatever an Instagram account right but I think what the differentiator is going to be and what is really going to shift the media space is the quality of that content. And this, once again, is not anything new, but it's something that I just, I, I personally want to focus on myself. Like, I don't want to just be, you know, creating, putting trash out there because there's, it's sensory overload right now, right? And I don't want to waste my own time on doing things that aren't meaningful. I want to create content that and I hope others do too. And I'm, I'm, I know that there are others out there that want to create content that actually makes a difference for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the scarcity is in human attention, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, Gary V. Yeah, I think Gary, yeah. Gary, Gary <laughs> V says that. I think, yeah. I think mine, I'm thinking of Seth Godin, but I oh, might be wrong. Yeah. But yeah. They, they both, they're both like marketing I'm sure they both said and, it. <laughs> yeah, they, and I think, yeah, it's just, I, I've been thinking about it a lot too in terms of as I've been producing my content and you know, I'm a huge um, you know, digester of like podcast content and I'm just thinking there's so much stuff out there so and much. it's just what gets my attention and what doesn't yeah. what you know what does someone decide to read and like mm-hmm. it's just yeah I think the and that's something I'm constantly just trying to be cognizant of it's just how are you differentiating like why is your product different and mm-hmm. I think something I've been thinking more about is yeah I think organically I've, like you make it and then you slowly find a way to differentiate yourself slowly. Mm-hmm. But because I first started, like when I was doing the podcast, I did my first recording in like March or May and didn't release it until like August because I was constantly just brooding over, okay, what's the strategy? How am I going to be different? But I think what I've just accepted is just do it and then mm-hmm. just, just find your voice as you go while you yeah. do it. Um, and so for you, like what, you know, you, you have this, whole kind of wide-ranging career when your friends talk to you or they, they ask you questions what do they get most wrong about the kind of a career you have like where where does it differ between what your friends actually think what you do and the reality of what you do <laughs> uh oh gosh that's a funny question uh but a, a good question Okay, where do my friends get it wrong between, or what's the difference between what they think I do and what I actually do? Mm. Um, yeah, so like, I guess like just to give audience context and also give to give you some time to think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think most of the times my my friends will constantly be like, "Yo, Dan, it must be great to have so much free time now. Like you get to do whatever you oh. want." And then I constantly tell them, "You have no idea. I I, I think I work way more now than yeah. I did in like any other job." And like. I used to work hundreds of hours a week and yeah. like I'm talking, you, 
yeah, like you just don't turn it off. You just can't turn it off. And their their moment is just. I tell them it's a constant roller coaster ride of a lot of self loathing, guilt, and sometimes a bit of euphoria. But back to self loathing and guilt, and <laughs> it's just constantly like you gotta do more. You gotta do more. Um, you forgot a few others in there yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> just the extremes. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like so, there's that kind of stuff. Or when my friends like ask me about, it must be great being in a hedge fund. You must probably just like be throwing money around all the time. Mm. And I tell them, no, you actually spend about a good 30 to 40 hours a week just not talking to anyone and just silently reading Mm -hmm. just reading financials all day like you don't move your ass just sit there and you Mm -hmm. read you stare off into empty space Mm -hmm. and you read again and then they go what really is that all you do and I go yeah that's actually that's literally all you do man like you you just the glitz and glam yeah just just sit there file through papers think a little more Mm -hmm. and you just really gotta love stocks and they go damn I don't know (laughs) maybe maybe i don't want to do that real talk like shedding some light on that um no thanks for for sharing that experience as well because you know it's it's funny because i i I don't i i in my personal experience my friends actually don't see that from me but i think i think the biggest difference is that they think i'm the same person that i was maybe like a year ago Mm. and i'm not um i how do i say this without sounding super sad but like i I mean, it's it's for everyone. It's a journey, right? Um, and I think that, especially working on my own, and especially being like a very extroverted person, and not having coworkers like that are like you know I see every day, we're in the same office space, that kind of thing, that actually takes a huge toll on me and my like mental capacity, like to actually have a you know think clearly, make decisions, and all that kind of stuff too. So, for me, I actually you know when I'm not working in a team or not working as closely with people. I have trouble making decisions like I need to actually bounce ideas off people right and I, I'm sure that's pretty similar for, for yourself and a lot of others as well um, but when it comes to like my friends and what they think that I'm like my work is or versus what it's not is that they think that it's like wow like you guys are growing like I see you putting a lot more content out there blah 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 like yeah no and it's great but it's just there's still like so much going on in the background and the fact that like none of my friends or like not a lot of them at least are in the media space. It's all new to them, right? It's not only new to them, it's new to me too, like to do it in this particular way. So it's educating myself as well as educating them along the way too. I think a lot of times as well, like unless your personality is very inquisitive, um, I have a lot of people like close friends or not close friends, they just don't know what to ask. They don't know like what to ask about like the media space or the work that I do um, or the work that Culty Collective does or even my education stuff. They just, you know, with, with something like maybe like accounting or even like, you know, working in any other job, it might, that's a little bit more, um, has a little bit more exposure in like regular everyday life. They kind of know like, oh, so like, do you work with this or do you work with that? But like, if you have no idea what that industry is, how can you, how can you even ask those questions? Right. But I think that people, in general are too polite to be like oh or like maybe they're embarrassed to be like oh so what does that really mean right and I'm more than happy to walk people through that but um I just want people to know like especially like my friends too like hey it's okay to ask those questions it's okay to like not know what I do it's okay to like be like what does that even mean it's okay to you know ask me for like some more information and ask me about work and don't just expect that you know like you need to put that don't put that pressure on yourself to like know exactly what I'm doing because you don't right Mm -hmm. um and you know it's it's just kind of funny because I think that 
you know, I think people also realize, like my friends also realize that I'm kind of like in a delicate space too. A delicate in the sense of like, um, delicate in the sense of, you know, obviously finances are going to be tight, right? So, you know, with that, they don't expect me to, or they don't really like invite me out to go to like expensive dinners, like lunches and stuff. Cause it's like, Hey, you know, actually like, I gotta like, you know, cut down on the spending. And, but then, you know, once I start to say that, like they understand and they get it right. Or, you know, I think I, myself as a person, I'm pretty vocal about like, Hey, I can't really do this. Like, just don't really ask me about it. I kind of don't really want to know that it's happening. Cause I will feel FOMO, like so much FOMO. Right. Um, and I think that, that being said though like my friends are just you know super supportive like where they can be and you know hopefully yours are as well um you're you're nodding your head yeah yeah, yeah, no, for sure, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah like all my friends out there i i appreciate your support yes yeah shout out to the homies <laughs> yeah the day ones right um but yeah it's also you know sometimes like I, when i'm with my friends i don't want to talk about work i don't want to mm. talk about like that stuff because i literally think about it all day and i'm like the kind of person that is in my head all day right so i don't want to talk about that sometimes i just want to talk about like movies or like tv shows or like music or just like anything else but work stuff and that for me is a great reason to catch up with a friend (laughs) yeah no totally and yeah um i think the whole loneliness thing has has been very new for me as well as Mm -hmm. as someone who's also very extroverted like that needs that feeds off being around other people like the reason i go to coffee shops is just so i don't feel alone just like oh my gosh people around me oh my gosh (laughs) yeah yeah like i just want to hear the noise or sometimes like i'll be in my own like when i'm in my apartment i have like i don't listen to music but i turn on like coffee shop sounds on youtube it's like eight hour tracks of like coffee shops and like random places and i just have it on just so i can feel as if i'm not alone um Mm -hmm. and so like the solution i found has been just sitting my girlfriend down and just like just vomiting all my thoughts and yeah just <laughs> dilemmas onto her and then she just kind of listens and I, I tell her i just need you to listen you don't have to say anything you don't have to like think yeah. about it just yeah. you can be on your own like wavelength just yeah be there so i can just vomit all this and then i'll just kind of come to a solution on my own as i'm telling her this because it's just so different just talking out, out loud oh versus my gosh yeah just thinking in your own mind and <laughs> that's what i realized when i was in, recording the vlog yesterday i was thinking you know even if no one watches this just me recording it and just vomiting all this out it's just going to save my girlfriend so much pain going forward. And I was like, wow. This, I think I just discovered something new. I think I know why yeah. a lot of people vlog. It's just yeah. so you can actually hear yourself think literally. Yeah. Um, um, I, I totally get that. And I totally respect you for that too. And it's, it's uh, I think we're very lucky to have partners that um, can do that for us. And here's the thing too. Like I always tell my fiance, like, you know, I don't need you to respond to this. I just need to like say something and just tell me I'm not crazy. Just tell me I'm not crazy for thinking this way. Just tell me you believe in me. Just tell me you believe in me. And you're just like, I believe in you. I'm like, okay, thanks. Let's go back to watching Riverdale now. Just kidding. I don't I don't watch Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, <laughs> where were we? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, another question I had um, that I've been thinking about, like something I've been really new to is just this whole idea of marketing mm-hmm. um, as someone who's just been completely away from that and just has recently learned about like social media marketing and all that like <laughs> welcome welcome thank you um like i'm just like learning how to use instagram still like how as someone who's you know been a marketer for you know professionally for like six years how do you go about like building an audience like when 
you know, you're building an audience for Kulti Collective, like building your own like kind of LinkedIn audience. Um, you know, you've got a lot of followers. Um, how do you go about thinking about that? And what kind of strategy do you employ? Um, I would say it's like same, same, but different for, for those two things. So the, there's the, my person, like my, this sounds like my personal professional brand. So like myself as Natasha Jung as a professional, as well as, you know, Kulti Collective, those are two, I would say like separate things, but, um, but also very together as well. Um, so marketing, I think like for me, I just realized that, you know, even if I look at the metrics, I it's simply just scrolling on my Instagram, like any pictures of myself in it, whether it be myself with my fiance, or with my dog, like obviously the dog pictures get, gets like the most likes, but anything where you can show yourself as a person, um, that is what draws attention. If your captions like demonstrate your personality, um, if anything that you write or put out there really shows your personality and authentically, not just trying to be someone that you're not, that's what really like what people connect to. And I think the same thing goes for Culty Collective in that, hey, we're not trying to be, you know, an all-knowing resource. We're not trying to be also, you know, like subtle Asian traits. Like, I mean, because that's just, that's something completely different. It's a, that's more of a meme community and all that too. But I mean, you know, we're not trying to be, um, I, I, we're not trying to be everything to everyone either. And I think in finding that voice, you have to be really clear on who your audience is and what your goals are, right? And so for me on my professional side, I know that my audience is youth and young professionals. So I will speak professionally, but with more casual tone, if that makes sense. Mm. For Culty Collective, um, casual, professional, but also kind of fun and in the know. So, you know, on on the iPhone, they have your uh, screen time app to tell you what, you know, apps you're on, like the most, how much time you spend on them. Like so much of my time is on social networking, mostly Instagram, because I'm just literally going in there, finding out what people are saying, finding out what's important to people, what hashtags people are using, um, and figuring out like what's important to them based on their search, based on their likes, and based on the algorithm. Um, you got to use the algorithm to your advantage. Um, that's kind of what I've been doing so far. Um, most recently, so a couple days ago, I posted something in the Asian Creatives Network group on Facebook about Culti Collective and how we're accepting, you know, personal storytellers, personal story writers, and just wanting to collab with other content creators and just creators overall. And the response has been like enormous. We've had like, like that one post, I mean, maybe it's not that big compared to like other posts, but we've had like over a hundred people like like, or like, you know, react with those emo with emojis comment. I've literally gotten to like full length conversations. I, I told, I wrote in the post also, like, I'm going to LA. If anyone, anyone want to, wants to meet up, let me know. Like now we have this like gang of like five people that are going to meet up in LA and go for a bubble tea tour. <laughs> like wow. it's just, yeah, just, you know, kind of really just figuring out like who your people are, who your tribe is, who your community is online. That's all it is. Right. And like, you know, trying to figure out like, are these the people that I'd want to hang out with? What is important to them? And really just speaking to that community and creating content that matters to them. Yeah, I think this, the whole idea of community is something I'm continuously trying to like learn and like wrap my head around, like um, making it a cooperative in terms of yeah, mm. like, where can I reach out to? Where, where are the people? And seeing you know how can we work together and all this stuff so yeah it's just it's cool to hear that story because now i'm getting like more ideas like maybe 
maybe I'll reach out to the Asian creative community myself. But yeah. it's just... I think they'd love to hear your story, yeah, to maybe. be honest with you. I mean, all right. Don't uh, worry, I'll vouch for you. i be like, this guy was great. <laughs> no, I yeah, him. definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and so I think that's something I'm constantly learning about, like the, the power of community. Like, I never really thought about it too much before just because mm-hmm. I was so unplugged from everything. But as like a you know, like a baby going into this new new world, like why is I wide open? I'm like, wow, okay. There's so much for me to learn, so much out there. Um, it's kind of overwhelming. Like, do, do, you, do you enjoy doing all that Instagramming stuff? Like, do you actually like it? <laughs> you should see your face right now. Um, yes and no. Um, I think if it's for myself, it's kind of weird. But if it's for Cold Tea Collective, because I see the bigger picture and I see how I can positively impact and influence other people to just live their authentic lives and feel connected to not just themselves, but to others, it's a little bit easier. Um, I think that I I would say like I probably am not the person that would enjoy working as a social media coordinator um, because that's just it's a little bit too detail oriented for me however I love getting into conversations with people um, like like half of my content team I met through Instagram because they followed us or like I followed them or like their photos and we got into a conversation via DM and I was like do you write by any chance awesome you do okay we're actually hiring for an editor right now so that's legitimately how I got one of my editors so it's um like just being open to conversation I that the conversational piece is more what I really enjoy about social media but when it comes to like the mechanics of it I know I have a lot to learn but it's also like whether it be whether you have a media company whether you are a consultant whether you're an accountant like anything like that like whatever it is it really just you have to realize that where you focus your time should be where you have the most enjoyment right and so I know that like it's also not my strength social media however I can use it as a tool to do other things right um so that's why I'm working with others that are better in that space for you know we're trying to to you know record our interviews and turn it into a podcast as well and so knowing that I have you know challenges in actually you know editing things not necessarily technical challenges but like actually finishing that because my my mind is just like just not wired that way and so that's why I really appreciate and respect your focus to actually produce a podcast every single week because I just think that's so amazing it blows my mind um so just partnering up with the right people to be able to produce the things you need to produce and teamwork and building that team that community that is how I find enjoyment in in the things that I need to do. I know it's a super roundabout way of answering, do you even like the social media side of things? But I do like it when I can connect with other people. Yeah, no, um, but I think, yeah, it's the, it is the authentic answer. And yeah, I think, I'm, you know, it's like, I, I hate it. I hate social <laughs> media stuff, but I agree with you. I think once I can try to build a connection, it yeah, I think that's when it starts to take on a form of its own and I think it's for me it's just been trying to get used to this online forms of communication mm-hmm. um, like you know like the reason why we do the podcast in person and not like virtual is because I just personally have a huge just preference towards meeting people face to face and having mm-hmm. conversations and mm-hmm. yeah I think it's just even and even as a millennial it's just been something for me to get used to just having long form conversations like online oh yeah um, 
like even with my friends like i i only say like what i need to say i'm like hey want to meet this time this date done like we don't have any long discussions after that or i'll say mm-hmm. we should talk call me and then we'll have like a phone conversation so serious i would be so scared if you sent me that message <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> um yeah like even with my girlfriend like we'll, we'll be like messaging and i'll be like you know what this is not working let's just facetime or call me yeah <laughs> i'll just have a long conversation that way yeah um, but yeah i think a lot of new stuff to learn about um no i think so too and i i think um no, that's good, though. I think that old man Dan, right? There there you go, right there. No, uh, jokes aside, though, I, I really do think that that face-to-face uh, conversation is so important because um, that's how you build, like, a, I mean, you can build trust in other ways, but I think that's the best way to build trust, to build rapport, to build, like, a connection and really strengthen connections as well. So I, I too, am a huge fan of that. That being said, though, um, pretty awesome to see how your network can expand so incredibly just you know online I was definitely like one of those girls and my like friend used to make fun of me for it I would get into really long really deep conversations with friends in high school on MSN do you know what MSN is yeah okay I'm still the cohort that used it <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly so um and I think the the way or, or or even like now like Instagram DMs like I'm able to do that because I know that I literally cannot meet with everyone in person, right? And so, yeah, like it's uh, you. I, I really respect that you you wanted to have this conversation in person. I appreciate that as well. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, likewise. And so as we kind of you know, I think as we go around to like the ending parts of the interview, um, kind of the standard questions I like asking every guest. Um, one is. Uh, if your 20-year-old self, so 20-year-old um, Natasha were to look at you right now, so she's probably like, you know, third year in SFU, um, she's looking at you and what you've done, what do you think her emotional reaction would be? To where I am right now. Mm. She, like, she's seeing you and she goes, hmm, so that's the 31-year-old 30, me, like, what do, you think, <laughs> what do you think her emotional reaction would be? Emotional reaction? would be like I think the 20 year old Natasha seeing me now would be like well it took you long enough um to realize that hey you should have done this in the first place <laughs> but not like in a bad way but like in a really hilarious like like poking fun at way mm. um and I think it just kind of comes down to like just being in my head like way too much even back then I was in my head way too much um but I think 20-year-old Natasha would be really excited for where I am right now. Yeah. And that's how I currently feel, too. So that's I good. think that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> she, she wouldn't be like, what do you mean you didn't make the urban rap segment of City TV? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Something's coming. <laughs> I'll make up for it somehow. And then, so what, what kind of advice do you wish um, that 20-year-old Natasha uh, could have had at that age? Like, What kind of advice would you give her? I would tell 20-year-old Natasha that let me think about this for a sec. Yeah, yeah, take your time. You can edit that out if you want. (laughs) 
I would tell 20-year-old Natasha, don't worry too much about what other people think and just do what you need to do for yourself. And that's what I need to tell 31-year-old Natasha as well. Solid. <laughs> I got, yeah, probably need to have like a poster to look at it every day. Yeah, post-it note, a little, little affirmation. Yeah, all the above. It's a, it, I mean, yeah, you know, just like kind of working on your own, kind of um, being a solopreneur, kind of, uh, and being in your head a lot, working for yourself. You kind of need to remind yourself of these things. Yeah, I think a really cool saying was um, the conductor has to turn his back on the audience to lead the orchestra. And I was like, wow, that's true. Oh, I like that. That's a good music reference right there. Yeah. You can Very use it cool. somehow in Colty Collective, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure I could. I'm sure that would really resonate, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, you know, as the interview kind of wraps up to an end, um, where can people find you? Um, are you guys looking for other editors through Instagram? Or, um, <laughs> yeah, give a shout-out. Um, you can, you know, shout-out Colty Collective. Like, what other, like, things you guys are up to, how people can find you, et cetera. For sure. So Colty Collective, once again, we are a website. We are on social media. You can find us at ColtyCollective.com as well as on Instagram and Facebook at Cold Tea Collective and on Twitter at Cold Tea Media because Colty Collective was way too long for Twitter, apparently, to actually have that name. Um, right now, we are always looking for people to submit their personal stories. And you can find out a little bit more about how to do that online at ColtyCollective.com. And at the very top of the page, it says share your story. We're also looking for always like feature writers as well. So the difference between personal stories and feature stories is that personal stories are from a first person perspective. Uh, feature stories can be an opinion um, and or, you know, interviews and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, and what's coming up for us next, we're just growing full steam ahead. We're always looking to c collaborate with creatives. Tag us on your social media. We'll like your photos. We'll like your stuff. Um, and thank you so much for your support. And thank you, Dan, for having me on your podcast. Uh, um, no, thanks. Thank you for coming on. As I had a lot of fun uh, during this conversation. And I really think our audience um, got a lot of value out of it, too. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.